Good morning. If you have your Bibles, please open them to the book of James. We're in chapter 4. And today and next Sunday, I'm going to do a two-part sermon series within the book of James. We're calling it The Qualities of the Christian Life. So this is part one. We'll do part two next week. The Qualities of the Christian Life. This is James chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. If you're able, please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. Now the written word of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Pray with me please. Our God and Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for another opportunity to gather as your people, to open the scriptures, and to proclaim your truth. Lord, will you please teach us today? Would you please continue to mold and conform us to the image of Jesus Christ? May your ears be attentive. May our minds and hearts be inclined to you, Father. Remove every distraction that we might focus on the worship of God through the preaching of your word. Lord, we know that you're writing to believers. You're teaching us how to live the Christian life. I pray that we would receive it with gladness and joy. If there's one here who doesn't know Christ, we pray that that one might hear the gospel, might come to know you as Savior and Lord today. All these things we ask in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. I'd like to start with a story. I told this story about two and a half years ago, so some of you heard it a long time ago, but some of you have never heard this. This is what I call Pastor Adam's story of pride and pain, of pride and pain. It was the summer of 1994. I was 17 years old. I was getting ready to go into my senior year of high school. And for several years up to that point, I had been working out and lifting weights. I played football. I was preparing for my final year of high school. And I'll tell you, I was in the best shape of my life. You know, the glory days. You remember those days back in your life? We love to think about those days. But it was summertime. And at our church, we had vacation Bible school. Well, the youth pastor had assigned all the youth to work in different levels of Bible school. Well, he had assigned me to work with the fifth grade boys. And of course, in Bible school, you go through your time of teaching and your snacks and your playtime, but you always have a craft. I mean, you can't go through a Bible school night without a craft. So it was craft time. And I'm telling you, fifth grade boys and myself, we weren't too interested in making crafts. So we kind of got through that pretty quickly, and we had some, some dead time. And I was looking at those boys. And I was thinking, you know, I, I need to show these boys just how strong I am. I was feeling really good about myself that day. Again, working out, getting ready for the, for the football season. And I don't even know how we got to the conversation, but I'm sure I pridefully made this happen. There was a young fifth grade boy standing there, and I said to him, I bet you can't pull my arm down. 
And I put my arm just up just like this. And I said, go ahead and try. Pull my arm down. Well, he did. Fifth grade boy pulling on my arm. And at that point in my life, I could handle that. That was not a problem. And I held my arm pretty strong and he couldn't budge it. The problem was the other boys in the back of the room. You see, they were watching what was going on. And they walked up and said, hey, since he can't do it, let a few of us try. And not just try by themselves, but try together. So what was one boy holding on to my arm, pulling it down, turned into five fifth grade boys with their hands around my fist trying to pull it down. Now, what do you do in that moment? You can't back down. This is my time to rise up. Show these young men just how strong I am. So it was on. And I had my arm like this, and I had five fifth grade boys pulling, pulling my hand, and they were pulling it the other way. And I'm telling you, neither one of us were going to give up. But as you could probably tell, five boys holding on to your hand, pulling and struggling, the hand started to become a little bit sweaty, a little bit wet. And as I was pulling one way, their hands were pulling the other ways, and sweat was getting all over my hand and their hands. And I'll tell you, at the same moment, all of their hands slipped off of mine because it was wet and sweaty. But I'll tell you something, I didn't stop pulling. Listen, it was a split second. I didn't have time. So you know what I did? Yes, I did. They slipped off and I kept pulling. And son, I'll tell you that I busted myself right in the nose. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I thought I was there to show these guys how strong I was. Look how much of a man that I am. But here I am. I busted myself in the nose. Blood starts pouring out. I mean, I bloodied up my own nose. And here I am like this. And I'm running out the door to the bathroom to clean myself up. I kid you not. That's Pastor Adam's story of pride that leads to pain right there. Literally physical pain. Friends, I tell you this story because you can see I started my night with these boys with pride. And it ended with pain. And unfortunately, this type of pride pain story isn't just limited to myself. It's true for many people in this world. In fact, the Bible, as Hunter has already talked about, tells us many stories of people in the Bible that live a life of pride that results in great pain. Well, friends, today as we continue walking through the book of James, he's continuing to teach us how to live the Christian life. This is practical truth for the Christian life. And as he does this today, he talks about several qualities that every believer should have in his or her Christian life. As I mentioned, this is a two-part series today and next week. Today we're going to look at two of those qualities. The first one is humility, which of course is the opposite of pride. And the second one is submissiveness. So from these few verses here in James chapter 4. Let's zoom in. Let's focus on the first two qualities of the Christian life. First of all, look at humility. Look back at verse 6 with me. What does the text say? But he gives more grace. 
Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Friends, here, James is quoting from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. And he's bringing that verse into the New Testament. And he's talking about pride and humility. If humility is the characteristic that we need to have in our Christian lives, what's the opposite? It's pride. As this text says. So let's look at pride before we look at humility. You know in the book of Proverbs chapter 6. It says that there are seven things that the Lord detests that are abominable to him. One is a proud look. Haughty eyes. In Proverbs 16 it says that arrogance is an abomination to the Lord. In Proverbs 13, it says that pride causes quarrels. You remember last week's sermon? James asks, what causes fights and quarrels amongst you? Right here it is, pride. Pride causes quarrels. He even says in chapter 16, pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. So let's now zoom in and look at those two examples that Hunter read about a moment ago from the book of Daniel. Daniel was in the Babylonian exile. And during that time, he encountered two specific kings that are mentioned in the book of Daniel, chapters 4, 5, and 6, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Let's look at those one by one. Nebuchadnezzar, we remember him. You remember it was those three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, They wouldn't bow down to that golden idol. And the Bible says when they wouldn't bow down, Nebuchadnezzar, he pitched a fit. He was furious and prideful, is what the Bible says. And he made this comment back in the book of Daniel. Listen to this. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Think about that question. What he was really saying is, What God is more powerful than me? No one can deliver you. I'm the king. You saw the pride of the king. But then what happened? Nebuchadnezzar watched as God himself delivered these three Hebrew boys from the fiery furnace. He watched God step in and do something that he thought no one could do. Now, if you're Nebuchadnezzar, you would think that that might be a humbling experience for you. I mean, to ask those types of questions and to see God give those types of results, that might be a humbling opportunity for you to say, yes, there is someone more powerful than me, but it didn't happen that way. Because as we read Daniel, we find Nebuchadnezzar standing on the roof of his palace. And he looked out at Babylon that was stretched out before him. And here's what he said. Is not this great Babylon, which I have built with my mighty power, a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? He was full of pride. And because of his pride, the Bible tells us that God took his kingdom. 
This is a quote from Daniel 5. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven amongst the children of man, or from amongst the children of mankind and he was made like that of a beast. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. He went from being exalted as a king to eating with the wild donkeys. Friends, why did God do this? The text gives us the answer. It's because God opposes the proud. The Apostle Paul says it this way, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. God opposes the proud. But you see, Nebuchadnezzar also had a son. His name was Belshazzar. Hunter articulated it a moment ago, Belshazzar had a feast for about a thousand of his lords. And during that feast, he looked up and they saw a hand writing on the wall. And the Bible says this about Belshazzar, that his heart sank, his limbs gave way, and his knees buckled when that happened. And he immediately called for an interpretation. So Daniel came in. And the first thing Daniel did was remind Belshazzar of what happened to his daddy. Don't you remember, Belshazzar, what happened to your father, Nebuchadnezzar? He said, remember, your dad's heart was lifted up in his spirit. It was hardened so that he dealt proudly with God. And he was brought down from his kingly throne. And his glory was taken away from him. And then here's where I want all of our ears to open. and Make sure we hear this. Daniel looked at Belshazzar. And said, even though you knew this, you still haven't humbled your heart before God. In other words, you were given a clear example of pride that leads to a fall. Don't you remember what happened to your father? You witnessed all of this as his son. Yet you haven't learned a thing from the example of your dad. You, Belshazzar, have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. He knew, but he didn't learn. What was Nebuchadnezzar's result of his pride? He ate with the wild beast and the animals ate the grass. What was the result of Belshazzar's pride? You heard it at the end of Hunter's reading. The Lord took his life. Why? Because God opposes the proud. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Friends, one commentator, Blanchard, says it this way. Let us learn the lesson that God has power to both give and to take away. That none of our possessions, whether in business, social life, church life, are so secure that God cannot end them. And if we do not hold them in humility, we may be forced to leave them in humiliation. 
Pride doth not only withdraw the heart from God, but it lifteth itself up against God. But as we note about this specific verse, it simply doesn't end with God opposes the proud, does it? But there's an addition. He says that God gives grace to the humble. So now that we've talked about pride, let's now talk about humility. You know, when the Lord Jesus Christ taught on humility, he used children in his illustration. Matthew 18 says it this way, this is Jesus speaking, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Was Jesus saying that children are innocent? No, he wasn't saying that. Jesus knows that children are sinners and that they need a Savior. But what he was saying is that children do and will acknowledge their need and they will cry out for help. And such is humility. When Jesus described the humility that believers are to have in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And what he means by that is a person who's aware of his own sinfulness, who sees his spiritual bondage, he realizes that he needs help. He needs Savior. He needs someone to wash his sins away. He needs the mercy of God. And he's fully dependent not on himself, but on God. I love the song Rock of Ages. One of the lines of that song says, Nothing in my hand I bring, but simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Friends, that is a song sung to our Savior in humility, recognizing we need God. We need his forgiveness in our lives. But the Bible simply doesn't stop just at a humility of recognizing your need. But in Philippians, the Bible says that the humble person will also look to the interest of other people. And that, of course, is the example of Jesus Christ. When we look for an example of humility, do we need to look any further than Jesus Christ? Philippians 2 says that Jesus knew he was fully God. But he didn't use that as an opportunity to lord it over people or to take advantage of people. But he used his position as God to come all the way down to where we are, actually get down on a knee and look us eye to eye and say, I'm going to take upon your flesh and your humanity and I'm going to serve you to the uttermost, even though I'm God. I'm going to humble myself and become obedient to death, even death on a cross. That is what the humble Christ does for us. When we think about humility, look no further than Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, friends, that humility, that's what Nebuchadnezzar needed. Humility is what Belshazzar Needed, And not only is humility what we need, but the Bible says to us today, it's a characteristic of the Christian life. 
But let us make sure to do something that Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar didn't do. And that is we need to keep a close watch on our lives. You know, when the Apostle Paul was teaching young Timothy on how to be a minister, how to be a a steward of the things of God, he gave Timothy this big list of things to do in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Here's some of them. He said, Timothy, you need to be trained in your faith. Timothy, you need to be trained in godliness. You need to be an example to other believers, young Timothy. Timothy, you need to devote yourself to the reading of scriptures. But then there's one other thing that Paul tells Timothy to do, something that's often overlooked in 1 Timothy 4. It's in verse 16. He says, Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself. While you're ministering to other people, while you're giving and reading and studying and training and and doing this and that in ministry, Timothy, don't forget to look at the man in the mirror and keep a close watch on yourself. Friends, sometimes when things are going well, when we feel strong, that's the moment that pride comes in. And maybe you've had success like Nebuchadnezzar had. Maybe you felt power like Belshazzar felt. But here's the question for you and for me. Did these things go to our heads and lead us to pride? Have you ever felt so strong that pride comes in to your life? The Bible says the moment that anyone who thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he fall. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall, because God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble friends. Let us cast off any pride that we have in our hearts towards God or towards other people to keep a close watch on ourselves that like a child we should acknowledge our need. Like Jesus looked to the interest of others, let us also look in humility towards the other people's interest. Humility is the first characteristic, but the second one's found in verse 7. Submission. Look at the text with me. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. What is submission? We can define it as placing ourselves under the authority of God while showing respect and obedience to him. So if pride is the opposite of humility, what's the opposite of being submissive? You could say it's hard-heartedness stubbornness think about those two words hard heartedness stubbornness when i say hard heartedness what old testament figure do you think about pharaoh the one that comes to most people's minds the first pharaoh god called moses and aaron to go to egypt to tell pharaoh 
let my people go. But Pharaoh wouldn't do it. The Bible says his heart was hard against God's will. And think about this. Pharaoh saw and experienced all the plagues. He saw the Nile turn into blood. He saw the frogs and experienced the lice and the gnats. He went through the darkness that continued for hours and hours. His heart was so hard against God that the firstborn son in his family died. And then when he sent his army to go get Israel, the Lord God collapsed the Red Sea on his army. And the Egyptian army ended. It was ruined that specific day. You see, Pharaoh would not submit to God's will. He knew better. But that led to great destruction in his family and in his kingdom. How about Jonah? When we think about stubbornness, right? We think about Jonah. Jonah had a clear call from God. There was no doubt. Go to Nineveh. Didn't want to do it. Didn't want to do it. And the Bible says it this way, that he rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, as if he could flee the presence of the Lord, first of all. Seriously? You ever felt like that? Maybe I'll go over here. God's not over here. I'll get away from God by just moving over here. No, you won't. You might think you will, but you won't. Confusion. Actually, stubbornness in Jonah's heart and his mind. So he got in the boat, and his stubborn heart not only led him to put himself in great danger in that storm on the sea, but it put other people in danger too, right? The other people that were on the boat. And in just a few moments, Jonah found himself along with his stubborn spirit in the belly of the great fish for three days. Friends, that's where stubbornness led Jonah. But what does God want? Look at the text. What does God want? It says in the text, submit yourselves therefore to God. Why would God say this? Let's be reminded of some things about God. God says this because he's God and we're not. He's the Lord and sovereign and we are not. And we need to remember what I'm going to call this creature creator distinction. He's the potter. We're the clay. He's God and we're not. With that in mind, I got another story to share with you. I wish I was making this up, but I'm not. About 10 years ago, in my ministry, I had a 16-year-old young man walk into my office. And to protect his name, I'm just going to call him John. Okay. So John came into my office, and he told me very boldly, Pastor Adam, I don't have any good reason to believe in God. Now listen, John was a very smart young man, made great grades, very academic. But he said... I have no reason to believe the word of God. 
And these are, I'm reading from my exact notes I took that day. There is no, I have no experience with God writing books. It is not clear to me that God exists. And by the way, Pastor Adam, my reason and my experience sit in judgment of the Word of God. I had to take a step back on that one. I actually clarified with him, did you really say that your reason and your judgment sit in judgment of the Word of God? He said, yes. So he said, Pastor Adam, I declare Romans 1 to be false. And he tried to tell me that he was in a neutral place in life. And I thought about it. And I told him the following. I said, John, I said, friend, I want you to know that you have dethroned God. And you've put yourself on the throne. You've completely rearranged the creature-creator distinction. You've, you've swapped that. I said, you're now sitting in judgment of God. And I want you to know, friend, that your arrogance towards God is going to send you straight to hell. I said, friend, you need to know it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I said, you need to remember Lot's wife. You remember that little passage in the New Testament? Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Now, why would Jesus say that? You remember Lot, nephew of Abraham, had all the advantages of being in the covenant community. Abraham was a relative. The things of God going on in the community. But Lot's wife, even though she was surrounded by godly people, she didn't believe. She had all the benefits of being part of the church, you could say. But she didn't believe. And I told this young man, you're making the same mistake that Lot's wife made. You have all the benefits because this young man came from a Christian family. I'm telling you, I know his mom and dad. And they taught him the things of God. And I looked at him, I said, you have all the benefits of the faith in your home, in your life. He went to a Christian school. I said, you have all the benefits, but it's not making its way from your head to your heart. You're in danger, son. Your arrogance towards God is going to send you to hell. And I told him, I'm praying for your soul because, listen, there's no neutrality with God. Don't you kid yourself by, make, by thinking that, that there's no neutrality with God. Friends, God is sovereign and we are are not. And think about Jesus. When we think about submission, think about Jesus. Didn't Jesus, who faced the greatest hardship anyone has ever known, heading to the cross, being separated from his Father, taking on the sin of the world, Jesus Christ, who was getting ready to die a cruel death, prayed this prayer. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He submitted himself to his father's plan. Friends, I want you to know that praying things like your will be done, as we're taught to pray in the Lord's Prayer, that does away with any kind of the hardness of heart of Pharaoh or the stubbornness 
of Jonah and places us in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that enables us to live as what Proverbs 5 or 3, verse 5 and 6 says, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and to lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge God in all your ways and he'll direct your path. That's submission. Now, the Bible says, as you submit, there's something else believers are called to do. Did you see it in the text? Resist. Resist what? Not God, but the devil. As you submit to God, the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Friends, I want you to know we have an enemy. He is roaming like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Jesus calls him the father of lies. In Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul says, the devil's going to throw his fiery darts at your life. And when that happens, believer, what are you to do? What are we to do? Put on the armor of God. How do we resist the devil? By putting on the armor of God. What is that armor? First of all, it's the helmet of salvation. Do you have the purchase and reconciliation and the forgiveness of God on your life? Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you been redeemed? Have you been saved? That's the helmet of salvation. Secondly, the breastplate of righteousness. Not your righteousness, his righteousness that's been imputed to your life. And then do you live rightly before God? Thirdly, the shield of faith. The Bible says that it's there to extinguish the flames of the evil one. Faith, in other words, do you know what you believe and do you live on a daily basis by trusting God in all your decisions? Fourth, the belt of truth. How are your loins girded? Gird your loins, Paul says, with a commitment to biblical teaching. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. Does the word of God wrap around your life? Are you girding yourself with the philosophies of the world or with the word of God? Fifth, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That means, do you have a readiness to share the gospel? And are you willing to go where your commander calls you to go? And then lastly, the sword of the spirit, which of course is the Bible, the word of God, the scriptures. As Daryl prayed earlier today, Lord Jesus was tempted three times. And every time he was tempted, he used the word of God in his response to the evil one. Friends, as we close this morning, I'll end where I started. That particular day in the summer of 1994... It was a day I lived with pride. It was a day that I felt strong, but I walked out with a bloody nose. Nebuchadnezzar, he walked out acting like an animal. Belshazzar, well, he didn't walk out at all because his life was taken from him. And it's because God opposes the proud. But friends, this text says he gives grace to the humble. Let us humble ourselves like a child acknowledging our need to God. Serving others as Jesus came to serve us. Living as those poor in spirit. And friends, let us also be submissive to God. Not like hard-hearted Pharaoh or stubborn 
Jonah because we might find ourselves in the belly of a fish. So questions for all of us today. What area of your life is God working on today? Is there an area of pride or lack of submission to God in your life? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your friendships? Is it a relationship at your work? Teenagers, children, is it in the way you treat your mom and dad? Issues of pride or lack of submission? Do you have a hard heart like the young man that walked into my office and declared that he was in charge? Do you understand that creature-creator distinction? And then lastly, don't forget, don't forget Belshazzar. He had an example that he could have learned from so that he didn't have to learn the hard way. Is there an example of someone else in your life that you can learn from so that you don't have to learn the hard way? I mean, God's given us a lot of those today, right? And Pharaoh and Jonah, all these Old Testament examples, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, it would be so foolish to hear about their pride and their lack of submission and then go out these doors and conduct yourself in that way. Friends, this is practical truth for the Christian life. Pray with me. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for loving us in Jesus Christ, for sending your only begotten Son to die on the cross for our sins. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God of grace and that you give grace to the humble. Help us to remain humble before you and before other people. Help us to remain in a submissive spirit towards you. Help us to put on the armor of God when we're attacked by the evil one, an armor that you have provided, the helmet of your salvation, your righteousness, your word in our life, ready to go where our commander calls us to go. Continue to work in our hearts, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.